Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. Uh, just a reminder for you tonight at 7 o'clock here at the church, we will have a communion service. We'll have our communion service. Uh, and I just want to invite you to come to it uh, and be a part of that. Uh, God is our Lord has given us two ordinances to observe until his return. That is baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, and he says, as often as you do this, we do this in remembrance of him. And so let me just invite you to come and worship together as we sing and testify and are challenged from the word of God uh, and then reflect on what Christ has done for us. So you need to be here. Uh, and that's at 7 o'clock tonight. Also, um, uh, to mention this morning, um, Grace Thompson is um, moving to North Carolina tomorrow. And so this is her last Sunday with us as a local uh, resident. And uh, so we do want to pray for her and think of her as she makes transition there, gets settled into her new job, apartment, those things like that. And uh, so let's just pray for her now. Father, we thank you for this time we can gather together. We thank you for uh, your work in our lives. We thank you for uh, grace. We just pray that you would just uh, strengthen her, be with her, open the doors and um, uh, to your will and her life and, and help her as she travels down and gets settled in. Lord, we pray that she would uh, not only get settled in in her job and in her housing, but also in a, a good, solid local church as well. And so we just... Uh, commit her to you uh, and her future to you and lord we commit this service and just ask that you would speak to us through your word thank you for your word you have spoken to us in a way that we can understand and and only eternity will unveil the richness of that blessing in jesus name amen well, we have, if you're visiting with us this morning, been going through a series in the book of Hebrews uh, slowly this year. And uh, we are in chapter number 10. Uh, and I want to begin reading in verse number 19, so you can follow along with me to verse number 25. The book of Hebrews, chapter number 10, verse 19 to verse 25. The Bible says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. Isn't that a... That is just a comforting statement if you ever found one in the Bible. He is faithful who promised. Verse 24, he says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And that is God's infallible holy word to us, church. What a privilege that is to have that but we look at this letter in its original context and it would have been read to a congregation maybe a little different than this maybe they were sitting on the ground or, or in a small room a lot smaller maybe mostly jewish makeup but nevertheless it would have been read in its fullness from chapter 1 verse 1 to the end of this chapter it was a letter to the church 
a congregation, a people facing things and problems and challenges and, and struggles and, and, and all the things that were going on in their life. As we look at our New Testament, much of our New Testament is written in that manner, written to local churches and congregations, people in particular places, drawn out of every kind of walk of life and, and meeting together under the name of Jesus Christ and, and living life together in community. And I know sometimes the reason I bring that up in observation is because in our Western mindset, we are so focused on us and individuality and our individual rights. It's a great thing. I enjoy those, by the way. Uh, but we miss sometimes the community which God speaks of and to when we come to think about what Christ has done. We revel in the individual blessings and benefits of the cross and, and, and we need to, to do that, rejoice in that, but to know that that draws us not, not in isolation, but draws us together, draws us together as a people, a new people. Paul defines this, or Paul describes this in the way he writes to us, the book of Ephesians, if you'll turn back with me in chapter number 2. Beginning in verse 1 through verse 10, he is describing what Jesus Christ came in the world to do. What uh, God is doing through the gospel, what God is doing uh, in the person's life and your life this morning that have been saved. This is a look back at your salvation. And he begins that by reminding them that they were dead in their trespasses and sin and walking according to the course of this world. He says, following the prince and the power of the air and the spirit that is now work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in these passions of our flesh, clearing, um, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God intervened, he says in verse number four, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That's another one of those underlined verses in your Bible. By grace you have been saved. Sovereign, gracious hand of God. He goes on to clarify, so that in the ages to come he might show in the measurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Salvation is the gift of God. Even the message itself calls us to, uh, to, to revel in His grace and mercy and calls us to, to benefit and to enjoy this, this gift that He gives to us. Verse number 9, He says that He's done it in this way so that no one can boast, not a result of works that we may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God beforehand has prepared that we should walk in them. And you see, as we normally read this, we think of that in our, our individual setting, us personally. It's a message that I was dead in my trespasses and sin. And, and in that dead state, God in His rich mercy made me alive, quickened me by the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and most of our minds are revolving around this breathtaking view of salvation but, but it's not unnatural what we see Paul do next. 
pointing not just from the, the individual blessing of salvation, but the full extent of what God is doing in Christ Jesus in this world. And that is, he is bringing people together. He's bringing people together. Notice right after that passage, uh, you were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, but you're not walking alone. You're not walking alone. He goes on and speaks about the mystery and how that while we were once speaking of the Gentiles far off, he has brought us near. Look at verse number 12 and 13. Remember that you were at times separated from Christ, alien from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promises, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you were once who were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. In chapter number 3, he again uh, further explains what God is doing through Christ and bringing people together, taking away the division of Jew and Gentile and, and all of the things that separated them and said it is in Christ that you have this foundation for any kind of gathering. And that's good to be reminded of as a church. There's a lot of things that we can enjoy and a lot of things that we can revel in, a lot of things that we can like, but the foundation and what God is doing corporately is, is Jesus Christ himself. And, and, in, and in this we see that natural response is as we come to understand what the gospel is, we come to understand what Christ is, it naturally pushes us to see those around us. Now, I know in the wintertime you have a very small population here in the Adirondacks. But even with a small population, we are reminded that we are not alone. That God is building his church. He is bringing people together in this glorious union with Christ. Chapter number 4, Paul says in Ephesians, speaking of this unity which he calls for, is rooted and grounded in this one spirit. Speaking of the Holy Spirit. One Lord speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ and one God speaking of our Heavenly Father. You and I can come together as unlikely as it might sound because of God himself. His goodness towards us. You say, well, I may not like what you like. Well, that's fine. I may not like what you like either. But the Bible brings us together not on what we like, but on the mercy and grace dispensed to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So it is, again, turning with me back to the book of Hebrews, it is in this section that we've been looking at who Jesus is and what he has come to do. Verses 19 and uh, through 21 reveal to us the, the foundation of these exhortations um, listed for us by the phrase, let us, let us. And again in verse 24, our text for this morning, let us consider. And he's already have been talking for 10 chapters about Jesus and how he is incomparable with anyone and anything that you can fathom. Angels, he's better. Prophets, he's better. Holy men, he's better. Moses, he's better. High priest, he's better. Sacrifice, you want to talk about offering something to God? His is better. 
And he's been going over and over through ten chapters trying to get into these people's minds who is, who is wrapped up rightfully so their identity in the Old Testament, in the law, and the covenants. And he's trying to say, don't you see, all of this was just a means to point us to Christ. In him is everything. In him is, it's all better. It's all better. Verse 19, trying to uh, clarify that fact, he reminds them, brothers, we have this this confidence to enter in into the presence of God by the blood of Jesus. He has made access for us. In verse 20, he says that he is the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain of his veil. Just thinking about this, uh, this statement here, I was just reminded how often in our culture we, we don't like those exclusive kind of terms. We might say, which might sound more progressive, might sound better and more popular to say that, that access to God is given to us in many ways, in many forms, and, and under many names and under many headings, like God is on top of the mountain and there's many roads which lead up to the top of the mountain. May look like Buddha, may look like Islam, may look like whatever. But Jesus tells us in John chapter number 14 that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. What does he say? He said no one will be given access, no one is given permission, no one will be received or accepted by the Father based upon your own good works. That's at least what he's saying, isn't it? No matter how good you do, no matter how well you try, no matter how many rules you keep, no matter how, how, many, how, many, how much stuff you give, none of that matters, right? No one is accepted by the Father. Not only by your good deeds, he reminds us in that passage, no one will, will be allowed to come to the Father through any other means, through any other religious experience. It is only through Jesus Christ that we are received by the Father. That's exactly what the Hebrew writer is saying here. He's saying he has made a way for us, and that way that he has made is through his body, through his flesh. He didn't die on the cross as an accident or, or, or just as a result of a few bad decisions or because people didn't like him. He died purposely to open the door to God, and that door is slung open wide to all those who will come through him. That's what he's telling his disciples. That's what the Hebrew writer reminds him. And so naturally he begins to exhort them because he has done such a work to make a way for us into the presence of God. He says, let us come with confidence, drawing near to God, verse 22, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It's worth saying that in Christ we find our deepest needs met. We were alienated from God, and in Him we are, we are welcome sons. We find belonging. It is in Christ we find security and safety. It is Him. It is in Him we find forgiveness and the and the means of a clean conscience. It is in Christ and in Him alone do we find security that lasts beyond this temporary life. That where we could face the end of our days with joy and anticipation that the best is yet to come because of Christ. He affirms that for us in verse number 21, saying that he is a great high priest over the house of God, which continually keeps us. So naturally, 
He says that we are to draw near. Secondly, he says in verse number 23 that we are to hold fast our confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Not only do we come, but we hold fast because it's true and it's right and because it's sure and steadfast. He's saying that we're to hold on. I was reading one commentator considering both of these. You may do these in isolation. It may be possible and hypothetically speaking that you can draw near to God by yourself and and, kind of in your own world and you can hold fast to your confidence by yourself and in your own world. But it is really, really difficult It is impossible to love without the community and the commitment and the fellowship of others. And that's where he brings us to this this view of how we interact with one another. For those of you who are taking notes, I would apologize. Those of you who are taking notes, I want to set a few headings in front of you under the word, under the letter C. The first one is he calls us to consider. He calls us to consider verse 24. He says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not just left in isolation by ourselves, but and, and really you could you could almost to get a glimpse of what he's saying here, you could connect, consider and one another together and get a good picture of what he's saying. And I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes you need to be reminded to look up and look around. You're not the only person in the room, especially when you're doing something annoying, right? There's other people here. Look up and look around. He's saying to these Christian believers that, that are facing persecution and facing struggles and all the things that they're going through. He says, in the midst of all of this, lay hold of your confidence in God and, and consider one another. Think about one another Think through, contemplate. That's what he's talking about here when he says, consider, think of ways to carry out what he's asking them to do. Love is like that. That's what John describes, isn't it? Here in his love, not that you love God, but that he loved us, gave his son to be a perpetuation for our sins. He goes on to tell us that if he so loved us, you have to love one another. Continually over and over in our Bibles, we're reminded of the implications of being in Christ means that we're not alone. We're brought together in the family of God. And he's saying, see that for yourselves. Look around and and, and not only see that, but engage in that. That's what he's saying here when he says, consider uh, one another, how to stir up one another. Now, ESV says stir up. I'm not sure what your translation say. I would ask you if it was Wednesday night, but it's not, so I'm not. So you can come Wednesday night when you have more engagement. The word could be understood as provoke. It's almost like saying a negative in a positive way, like that was awfully good or something of that that nature there. He said, let us stir up or let us provoke one another. It's, it's, It's seen in the conflict between Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas wanted to bring Mark along in the book of Acts in chapter number 15, 39. And the Bible says there was a strong or a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. And so Barnabas went one way and Paul went the other way. Barnabas says he said, Mark, Paul said, no way, I'm not going. He goes his own way. And so you see this kind of sharp, sudden idea that he's talking about. The best way to describe it is when when you're driving down the road because most of you do that and someone cuts you off. That moment, what you're feeling in that moment that produces that response 
I know some of you probably pray at that moment for those people. Right? Hey, we're in church. Some of you may do some other stuff at that moment. If you're like me, you probably do other stuff, right? But that's the kind of idea of this word here, that sudden stirring up, sudden motivation to action. And I know it's easy and it's quite funny to say sometimes we, we're good at provoking each other, but not like he's saying here. We're, we're good at provoking one another to anger and all sorts of other things. But he's saying, no, think of ways you can stir up and motivate one another to love and good works. And by the way, love and good works go together. Love, not just the statement or the feeling, but the, but the motivation behind the good works reminding us that, that Christian love, Christ-like love itself is love in action. And he says, I want you to, I want you to figure out ways to do that. Now, I like, I like contemplating sometimes, Mary will tell you, I'm not, I don't uh, daydream about new ways and invent new things. I'm, this is just not my personality. So I wish he would have gave us a few, a few statements here how to do that. Well, stir up one another to love and good works, and this is what you do, point A, point B, point C, and then then that's it. You're good to go. But he doesn't. He just says, I want you to think it out. And through the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us, we're to, to figure out ways and to think of ways as God moves and as we grow in Christ, we go together. He's saying, stir one another up along the way to love and good works. One way I think we can find in the Word of God is by example. Paul used uh, the giving of the Macedonians to stir along the the Corinthian church to to give in that relief of the saints in Jerusalem. Another way we can stir one another up to love and good works is by just simply inviting people to go along with you. Or for you may be the case. I was trying to think of a good example of this. Uh, So... Just uh, pardon the personalness of this, but I recall an uncle recruiting me uh, to meet a need for a family several years ago, several decades ago, actually. And it was it was not something profound. It was just a family that was in need. They were moving, and uh, and he told me he reminded me that I would not get paid for this, uh, but it would meet a need. Actually, got a wife and four kids out of that transaction, so I got paid. Lord, Lord takes care of you, you know. Along the way, I'm not telling you that'll happen to you, especially if you're married and you help someone that just don't work that way. But at the heart of that, all he simply did was say, this is a need. Will you do this? You can do this. Go do this. He probably used some guilt trips or whatever the case may be. That's the way uncles are. But, but you see this kind of interaction as we encourage, we invite, we, we kind of promote and provoke one another to love and good works. We complain about the negative influence people have on each other, right? They, get, they, they hang out with each other and it just gets worse. And he's saying that the church ought not be that way. It ought to be a place where we influence and stir one another up to, to serving God and serving others. Provoking to love and good works. What a joy it is to be surrounded by people, to, to stir you along, to do more than you normally would do. Because the case, that's the case of the matter, isn't it? We need that encouragement. Sometimes if we're left to ourselves, we'll just do the bare minimum. Amen. And 
And yet, by the example of others and the encouragement of others, we, we strive to honor God and meet needs and care for one another and display love, not just to the church body, but to our community and all around the world where God has let us make an impact. And he's saying, let this be part of your life. You know, it would be sound like an interesting thing to talk about this way to a church in Corinth that had, they had esteem, they had a lot of people, a lot of gifted people, a lot of things going on in that church. And so surely you would want to tell them, stir one another up to love and good works. They had a lot of division in there as well. And yet he speaks to this small church facing persecution. He says, now this is how you live out your faith. Because he is a faithful high priest, because he died for your sins, because he is he is trustworthy, not only hold fast to what you believe, but, but invest and in, in, in give to others around you. Give to others around you. It reminds us even in the, even in the midst of persecution, the word of God calls us to be active and diligent in the work of the kingdom of God and not retreat. And may that be our uh, challenge as well here at Adirondack Bible Chapel. But secondly, he not only tells us to consider, he tells us to commit. Verse 25. He words it in a negative fashion, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, speaking of the assembling of the church together, and, and he's in some ways saying one of the ways you're going to stir one another up is by your presence with one another. Uh, it's hard to do in absence. But as you come together, as you commit to one another, you're going to fulfill what he's talking about here in verse 24. And so he says we do this by our commitment. Evidently, there's some in the church who uh, that he has shown concern for and that has been drifting from the faith. Oh, they, they've been here, maybe it's been a week, maybe it's been a couple of weeks, maybe it's been a month or years, and, and you see that kind of progression. Here he evidently has someone in mind or many in mind who has altogether quit meeting together with the body of Christ. They've forsaken the assembly. They're no longer found in, in the accompaniment of God's people, meeting together, worshiping together. And we know there's many reasons for that. None are good, but we know there are many. In the current context, the pressure of persecution, the fear of being identified with Christ, this Jewish Messiah who was crucified, and Paul says in one place to the Jews was a stumbling block, and yet to meet with God's people is to identify with Christ in, in that fashion and, and really is, is something they just couldn't bear. The pressure was too great. Peer pressure from family and, and loved ones and friends and society all leading them and pulling them away from God's people and meeting together. Paul reminds us of one of his own followers, one of those who labored with him in the gospel, had left him for the, for the love of this present world. And so we might say that even some here in the, in the uh, Hebrew or in the church referred to here as left because of more sinful reasons, loving of this present age. Now, I don't know if you talk to people about church as a pastor. People hear that you're a pastor. You tend to get in that conversation every now and then, and I've heard a lot of excuses. I'm sure you have as well. It's not uncommon to hear of many reasons why people in our day don't go to church. 
They don't go because they've been hurt. Because churches have fights and schisms and, and that just, that, that's tough. And it is tough. Others uh, don't go to church because they just don't have the, the, the time off. They just don't, it's just not, it just doesn't work out for their schedule. Sunday is an off day. It's a day of rest. It's a day when they get to do their activities and their hobbies and those things like that. It just doesn't all work out the way that, that it should work out. Or, or maybe they don't go to church because, after all, they can't find one that, that meets all of their, their, their programs and benefits. It doesn't have all their features. Someone was talking about buying a car yesterday. you got to have all the right features. There's a lot of good excuses in not going to church, and none of them are worth it, just to be honest with you. None of them are worth it. Not in a day when uh, saints all over the world are, are, they don't have this privilege of meeting together and worshiping and open as we do. Meeting and, and praising God and singing and testifying and uh, it, with confidence that we will go home and we will eat and, and we'll, we'll take a nap. And I mean, we, I'm speaking to myself here. I don't know what you'll do, but, but all the joy that we have in meeting together they don't have underground and in secret sometimes only two or three at a time meeting together because fear of their own life and yet we have such great blessing here in the united states that god has given us let us take advantage of it john gill gives us a few reasons why we ought to if there are reasons why we don't meet he gives us a few reasons why we ought to meet let me just quote him here it is the duty of saints to assemble together for public worship on the account of God who has appointed it, who approves it, and, who, and whose glory is concerned in it, and on the account of the saints themselves that they may be delighted, refreshed, comforted, instructed, edified, and perfected, and on account of others that they may be convinced and converted and brought to the knowledge and the faith of Christ and in the imitation of the primitive saints. And an assembling together ought not to be forsaken, for it is forsaking God and their own mercies. I think that's just as relevant today as the day it was penned. Why do we need to meet together? For the glory of God. Chiefly for the glory of God. It is here as we meet together as a body of Christ, God's glory is on display. You think about what else would bring us all together. Well, some of you may have things that in common things that bring you together, but as we come together, we testify to the goodness and mercy of God. We're all here on equal ground. We're all here by His grace and, and declaring and praising and thanking and praying and all that we do to glorify and magnify the grace in which He has bestowed upon us. We meet together declaring the glory of God. It displays that anticipation that we have as the body of Christ on, uh, that we read in the book of Le uh, Revelation that one day we will live out. As you read in Revelation, and as all the tongues and tribes and nations and every walk of life and every background and every kind of, of person will come together and sing with one voice, not worthy is you, and worthy is me, but worthy is the Lamb. We meet together week after week, and you say, well, it isn't that fantastic. Well, it's because we look at it through natural eyes. But as we consider what it is that a body of Christ, 
people meeting together in Christ. It is a, it is a, a message of anticipation as much as anything else. A declaration of the glory which we will see one day when the Lord returns. And also displays the glory of God as we pour out our dependence and delight in Him. As we pray and ask Him to meet the needs. Just thinking this morning and before I got up, all the things I should say in the introduction, because I do that for good reason. And all the burdens that many of you are carrying and all the things we could pray for and mention this morning. And we come lifting up those needs and declaring our dependence on God. And He enjoys that. Because he meets our needs. And he is faithful. And he invites us to come in that fashion. Now you can pray on your own. That's true. You can read your Bible on your own. You can worship on your own. You can sing on your own. But if you're like me, it's nothing like singing here. There's something special taking place in our lives and in our hearts as we meet together as a body of Christ. Now I recommend doing the other stuff too. But not forsake the assembling of ourselves as we pour out our dependence. And not just our dependence, but your delight. God inhabits the praise of His people. Our praises echo the glory and majesty and the goodness of God. Amen? Think about it when you sing. Think about it when Scripture is read. This is our God. This is what He's done for us. This is what He offers us in Christ. And if you're here this morning and you don't know who Jesus Christ is, this is the goodness He's calling us to. To turn away from your sins and and turn away from the guilt and shame that the world offers. That's all it has to offer. Maybe a numbness for this period of time, but, but, but it will not last. You could gain the world, it says, in one place and lose your soul. And what, what good is it? And yet if we come... Week after week, being stirred in our remind, uh, being stirred in our minds, a reminder that He is good and He is for us in Christ. And if you would put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you would receive the forgiveness of sin, hope of a new life, security for eternity, and all the other blessings that God gives us in Him. But we also meet not only for the glory of God, we meet for our own good. Why should we not forsake the assembling of ourselves together? Because we, we are most benefited and encouraged as we meet together. Again, you could speak about how you grow in, in your own private time, and I hope you do. And all the things that that you can do and all the sermons that you can listen to and and the radio and the TV and all the things that God has given us. Technology is a wonderful tool that God has given us. But it's not the same as meeting together and seeing people face to face. There is no substitute. He's calling these people to be committed in this meeting for their own good. And and in one sense, we might draw in what he's already said that, that... in meeting together, we, we draw near to God. In meeting together, we are strengthened in holding on to our faith in Christ. It is in meeting together that God pours out His grace in sustaining us and sanctifying us and encouraging us along the way. And I know that, that many of you have found that to be true. And we forsake the assembling of ourselves together to our own harm. To our own harm. 
thirdly, we meet together because of the edification and help of others. That's where he began this, wasn't it? Consider how to provoke one another. And then you're coming to the house of God and you're coming and your commitment to the local church and, and, and serving and worshiping. He even tells us in our context, not just to be encouraged as we are, he says, but encouraging one another. Encouraging one another. We meet together because we need to be encouraged. And we meet together because we need to encourage one another. We need to be reminded to pray for one another. And to lift up one another and tell one another whatever it is you tell one another. That's encouraging. Uh, and scriptural. Let me say that as well. We meet together because we want to edify and help and encourage one another. We meet together simply because God commands this thing. And it's not arbitrary, but it's for our good. It's for our good. And he's worried about this church. He's worried about the church that's meeting there and all the pressure and persecution that they're going through. And he's saying, don't forsake it. Don't forsake it to your own harm. Hold fast to your confession of faith. Stay together. Stay committed in that local church. Well... As we think about that, I've known over the past years, I have encouraged in conversation with many people, many family people, many people in my family and others over and over as they begin to talk about your problems and talk about your problems, talk about their problems. Yeah, not my problems. I talk about those. And they talk about all the things that's going on in their life. And, and, and it, without fail, one of the first things I'll say is you need to, you need to get involved in a local church. You need to get established in a local church. But they need this taken care of, and they're, and they're getting this, and they, they're very talented. I know musical people that are very talented musically, and they can sing and play the guitar and all sorts of stuff. And, and you could ask them if they were here that my message to them over and over and over again, that's great. You need to be involved in a local church. Why, you will not grow spiritually healthy without the interaction of a local body of Christ. It just won't happen. And I know there's times and seasons in our life when we cannot meet together and that's, that's prohibited through sickness and other things and like that. But that is not the normal that we face. And many times we take what is the exception and make that the normal. And we wonder why we walk around jaded and bitter and all the other things going on and why we were so frustrated with life. And, and much of it has to do with our own neglect of the spiritual graces that God has given to us in meeting together and worshiping together. So my encouragement to them is continually over and over, get involved in a local church. Be, a, be present. That's what he's saying. In the local church. It is God's gift to us. In fact, we read in Matthew chapter number 16 that Christ is building his church. And I want to be a part of anything Christ is doing. Amen. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And when I say local church, I hope you understand I mean a sound Bible believing local church. Not every building is a church. But that's my encouragement to you and that's my challenge to me as well. That we are committed to the local assembly, a, a, a group of people that has identified as, as believing the gospel and living that out together. 
This is encouragement to them. This is encouragement to us to be committed. And the third C that you may want to write down, just think of Nancy who takes great notes. And that is coming. Now the Bible doesn't say you need to meet three times a week. I know I invited you to communion tonight. And you say there's no scripture and verse for that. I know. But he does say that it ought to be the habit of our life more and more as the day draws near. That we meet together, encouraging one another, exalting, exhorting one another, especially since the day draws near. Now the day could be many things. It could be the return of Christ, which that's my interpretation of this. It could be... It could be the day of judgment, which also accompanies the return of Christ. There could be a lot of things. It could be the persecution, the falling away, and all the, the things that go along with the day of, of Christ's return. And he's saying, in the midst of that, in difficulty, don't, draw, don't withdraw from the church, but draw near to the people of God. Draw near to the people of God. You need, in, in, in a place, and a time in your life when America is dissolving in front of your eyes, I can say that out loud, right? What do you need? You need to come to a place continually that reminds you this world is not your home. You need to be told that there are eternal things of value that, that can be done away with. What do, you, what do you need when you see the pandemic and all the stuff that we've been through? We need the fellowship of one another. Continually reminded week after week that God is good and, and when we feel like it and when we don't. In fact, when you don't, you need it all the more. You see, beloved, the implications of the glorious work of Christ in redeeming us. It's not just redeeming us, not just redeeming me, but redeeming, redeeming a body, a people for his own namesake. And reminding us over and over through these exhortations. And then you go through every one of Paul's epistles. He deals with community life before he even deals with the family life, doesn't he? In Ephesians and Colossians. Remind us over and over. One of the means of God's grace in bringing us on into heaven is that he's not bringing us along. But he's bringing us together. His bride. And one day, one day as Mike has so joyously reminded us we will be there and see him face to face. And we will all say with one voice in unison, worthy is the Lamb. Amen. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. Hebrew writer calls it a brief exhortation. I find the more I read it, the more I think through it, the deeper and the longer it gets. What a reminder for my own heart and my own soul of what you have done for us in Christ. Forgiveness of sin and, and salvation and, and our guilt and making a way for people like me to be sons of God. Lord, I know that there are some here this morning. I don't know their hearts. I don't know who they are, but you do, Lord. And you know exactly where they are. They don't have that promise. They don't have that hope. And I just pray that you would work in their lives and hearts. I, I pray that you would reveal Christ to them in a way that goes beyond the words in which I could possibly speak. 
God, that they would put their faith and trust in him now. The writer of Hebrews even reminds us that today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. And I would pray that they would come. And they would believe, turning from their sins, and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for their forgiveness. Lord, I pray for all of us, wherever we are in life, to be encouraged by this great gift you've given us. Not only the indwelling Spirit of God, but but a family of God indwelt by the Spirit of God to encourage one another. I pray that you would help us to, to live that out here at ABC. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.